0: 1 John chapter 1 will be our text this morning, 1 John chapter 1, and we introduced this lesson last week and we, we said that we need to learn to quit walking around in the dark. Uh, we introduced this by saying how when we wake up in the middle of the night in our house we need a flashlight or we turn on our light to help us navigate uh, the hazards that are in our house, we too need to walk in the light spiritually to avoid the hazards that slow us down and, and take us away from fellowship with God spiritually. We talked about in chapter 1 of, in verse 5, 1 John 1 and verse 5, where John says that this is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we talked about the fact that the first major theme of 1 John is the fact that God is light. It doesn't say that God shows light, that God gives light, but rather God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And for the purposes of our lesson, light means darkness. To walk in God's ways. If we say we're walking in the light. We're walking where God walks. We're walking in God's ways. We're walking in his commands. We're we're walking in the spirit. And to walk in darkness. Would be the opposite of that. We're walking in ways that are contrary to God. We're walking in sinful ways. We are committing sin. But everything in 1 John. Is prefaced around the fact. That God is light. And. Since God is light and and Jesus is light, since we are Christ's followers, then we too are to walk in the light. And then in verse 6, we talked about how we're going to have six conditional clauses. Three of them are negative, three are positive. And by conditional clauses, what I mean by that is, if we do this, then certain things will follow. In other words, if I eat a Wendy's Baconator, large size, and don't exercise, I will get fat. If I do something, there's consequences. On the other hand, if I don't eat Wendy's Baconator and I exercise, I will lose weight. Well, we have three sets of positive and negative if-then clauses in 1 John. And these clauses start with if we, and understand John was writing to Christians, so he says if we, he means Christians. John is not talking about non-Christians. The Gospel of John was written so that non-Christians would learn to believe in Jesus. First John was written so that we Christians would know how to behave as Christians and know how to walk as Christians and live as Christians. And the first of those if-then clauses uh, are seen there in verse 6. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. In other words, if we say. You know, we hear a lot of people today saying lots of things, don't we? This is the way we need to live. This is the way we need to walk. You can say anything. And John says here, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Even as Christians, there's sin in our lives, isn't it? Even as Christians, we still deal with that sin nature that trips us up sometimes as Christians. So if we say that we have fellowship with Him, and and fellowship simply means sharing together. It simply means that me and God are tight. Me and God are in fellowship with each other. We're in union with us, with each other. We, we are sharing together our lives. If we say we have fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness, or, or if we have sin in our lives, we lie and don't practice the truth. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? We can't misunderstand what it is that, that John is saying there. If we say we have fellowship with the Father, but we are living in sin, walk in darkness, we're liars, we don't, the truth's not in us. The second clause is in verse seven. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Verse six is negative. Verse 7 is positive. Verse 6 and 7 are a a contrast of lifestyles. Verse 6 describes a contradictory lifestyle that results in, first of all, breaking fellowship with God. If we say we have fellowship with God, but we're walking in darkness, that fellowship's broken. Because remember what we said, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So if I'm walking in darkness... I'm walking where God isn't. Now as a Christian, I want to be where God is. But if we're walking in darkness, we're where God isn't, and we've broken that fellowship. Secondly, a life of a Christian that's walking in darkness is a life full of hope and despair. A Christian walking in darkness is going to result in a Christian being chastised by God to try to get them back into the light. And so it's going to be a life of problems. It's going to be a life of hopelessness, a life of despair. On the other hand, if we walk in the light, as he, God, is in the light, first of all, we have fellowship with each other. Understand that if I'm walking in darkness, not only is my fellowship with God broken, my fellowship with you is broken as well. Because we all are Christ followers. And as Christ followers, where do Christ followers walk? In the light, right? So if I'm walking in darkness, my fellowship with God is broken. My fellowship with you is broken. Because I'm living a lie. I'm not walking in the light like I say that I am. I'm walking in darkness. But if I'm walking in the light... And you're walking in the light. Guess what? We have fellowship with each other. And God's with us. And God will fill us. And we're worshiping God together. Have you ever, I thought about this week, this, this week. Have you ever been in a worship service where it just felt it was dry as dust? just dead and it's like the Lord's not there and it's like man this is just, everybody's looking at their watching man it'll be be 12 o'clock before too long, we can get out of here and go to Shoney's. I wonder if the reason worship services are like that is because the people that are doing the worshiping are walking in darkness. Because if we're walking in darkness God can't be there if we're walking in darkness, Holy Spirit can't be here. When I pray in my prayer for the Holy Spirit to fill us and to fill this place, the only way that's going to happen is if we're walking in the light. If we have fellowship with Jesus, because Jesus lived that kind of life. Jesus lived a sudden Perfect life. You know what you see all over scripture? When you read about Jesus? Would you say he and the Father had fellowship? How many times did Jesus say, I and my Father are one? I'm not coming to do my will, I'm coming to do the Father's will. It's not about me and what I want, it's what the Father wants. Even to the point of dying on the cross, Jesus says, Father, I wish there was some way to accomplish what we need to accomplish without the cross. But your will be done. And you know what else? So if I'm walking in the light, I share that same fellowship with the Father and with Jesus. And I have a life full of hope and satisfaction. It doesn't mean that I have nothing bad that happens. I deal with bad stuff. Sometimes it gets to me more than other times. But I try to remember when that bad stuff comes that my Savior died on a cross for me. And the bad stuff I face isn't nearly the bad stuff he faces. We have fellowship. We have satisfaction. We have hope. Now, unlike Christ, it's impossible for us to walk in the light 100% 100% of the time, right? Would you agree with that? Now if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God, and we have fellowship with each other, but there's a sin nature that we deal with. So what about that? If I'm not supposed to walk in the light, or if I'm not supposed to walk in darkness, and I'm supposed to walk in the light, what happens when I stumble into the darkness? Because there's a difference in walking in darkness and stumbling into the darkness. Walking in darkness, when Jesus says, he that walks, or when John says, he that walks in the light is a liar, or walks in the darkness is a liar, what he means by that is someone who practices that, living a lifestyle of darkness. Darkness. Frankly, if we're living a lifestyle of darkness, we probably need to question are we saved? But there's a difference in a lifestyle of darkness and stumbling into darkness when we don't yield to temptation, right? So John starts to deal with that then in verse 8. He says, If we, that's Christians again, say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. There are some people who say, well, when I became a Christian, I uh, God Jesus Christ cleansed all my sins. He forgave all my sins and, and I'm forgiven forever, so therefore I, I have no sin. John says, if you say you have no sin, Christian, you're deceiving yourself. All of us, if we are honest, have moments where we are in sin. We sin, we have a sin nature. Now, I will say this. The more we walk in the light, the closer our fellowship with God becomes. The more we walk in the light, the closer our fellowship with Jesus becomes. The more we walk in the light, the richer our fellowship with each other becomes. And we really and truly need to, every day, several times a day, say, Lord, help me walk in the light today. Remember Jesus Christ in his model prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? Jesus says, pray like this. And one of the things that he said was, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. In other words, Lord, help me stay in the light. Lord, help me walk in the light. When that guy cuts me off in traffic. Lord, help me stay in the light. You know? Walking in the light isn't something we decided we were going to do when we trusted Jesus as our Savior. Walking in the light is something we decide several times a day. Day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. And I think the more we think about that and think in it that way, it helps us walk in the light. When we are faced with a decision that might take us off into darkness, When we ask ourselves, is this light or is it darkness? And you know, I'm pretty well convinced. Most Christians don't have a... There's not a whole lot of questions over what's right and wrong. It's more of a question, do I want to do what's right? I know it's wrong when that guy cuts me off in traffic. I know it's wrong for me to lay on my horn and to shake my fist at him but you know what sometimes I lay on my horn and shake my fist at him right it's not a question do I know what's right or wrong it's a question do I want to do what's right do I want to walk in the light but it felt good to lay on the horn until it's over and then I feel really bad and I think that really wasn't a real good example of what a pastor's supposed to be like. But you know what? I bet y'all deal with that too in in different ways. You're uh, trying to nail the nail into the wall. And instead of hitting the nail, you hit your thumb full force. Now you know you're not supposed to cuss. Right? We all know cussing's wrong. In fact, if I took a poll here and said, how many of y'all think cussing's wrong? Most of you would raise your hand. It's not that we know what's right and wrong. It's just sometimes it comes out. I'm convinced if we, the more we think about walking in the light and being determined to walk in the light, we'll find ourselves walking in the light. But there's still a time where we may sin. So notice what he says in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. i got to deal with this sin nature. Now, I'm God's child. Once we become a child of God, once we're born again, once we are into God's family, we'll always be in God's family. There's nothing that we can do that will no longer be God's child. My daughter will always be my daughter, no matter what she does. There's nothing, there's things she can do that I won't be maybe not so proud of her. There are things I wish she'd do different. I I wish she'd make better, you know, do, and your kids and grandkids are the same way. But they're always going to be our kids. They're always going to be our grandkids. We're always going to be God's kids. So we're not talking about losing our salvation. But what we are talking about is getting in darkness and getting out of God's fellowship and getting out of God's will. Can I tell us as Christians, every one of us here, being out of God's will is the worst place a Christian can be. Now not being a child of God is the worst place a person can find themselves. But once we become God's children, and once we are born again, and once we are regenerated the worst place a Christian can be is out of God's will and we get out of God's will by being in darkness now verse 9 if we confess our sins one of those if then clauses if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness We have a choice when we realize we're in darkness. That fellow that cut me off, he's gone. I blew my horn at him. I shook my fist at him. He stuck his tongue out at me and drove on. (laughs) He's gone. And all of a sudden, I realized that, man, I've gotten over in darkness. I've got two choices. My first choice is to stay there. You know what happens when you stay in darkness? You get in darkness even deeper. You get into it even worse. I told you the story about me waking up in the night and saying, I don't need a flashlight, so I stumble stumble over a house shoe. And then instead of turning the light on right then, I said, I'll be all right. I'm stumbling along and I stumped my little toe on the bedpost. I should have turned on the light then, but I didn't. I walked over and then I hit my shoulder on the dresser. It just got worse. All I had to do was turn on the light. If we confess our sins, can I let you in on a little secret here? Would you tell God, Lord, I realize that I've sinned against you? Because ultimately that's who we sinned against. Lord, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. When we do that, God's not going to say, I didn't know that. You mean you blew your horn at that driver? I didn't know that. Why'd you t- I wouldn't. He knows. You know, we're not confessing our sins for, our, for God's sake. We're confessing our sins for our sake. You know why we confess our sins to God? God doesn't want to know what our sin is. He already knows what our sin is. God wants to know that we know we've sinned. Right, We recognize we're in darkness. We recognize God wouldn't have Jesus wouldn't have blown his horn if that guy cut him off. I realize that. Lord forgive me. And it says if we confess our sins he is faithful. Aren't you glad that God is faithful? If we confess our sins, he might forgive our sins. That's not what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's think about this verse for just a second. When we, as a Christian, when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, first of all, to forgive our sins. That means, too, he's not going to hold it to our account. Uh, It's similar to if I get a speeding ticket and I go to court and this would never happen, but for whatever reason, the judge, out of the goodness of me, if I say, you know what, judge, I sped. I'm sorry I sped. I didn't realize I was going that fast. It's totally on me. The radar was fine. The policeman did everything just right. I sped. I've confessed my sin, right? And the judge says, you know what? He takes that ticket. Thank you for being honest. And he tears that ticket up. He forgives that ticket. That's cool, right? When we confess our sins, God forgives us. He, he erases it. But don't leave that and. Don't forget what's on the other side of that and. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When. Uh, in the Old Testament. Every year. The Day of Atonement. All those sacrifices. That, they, that the Israelites did. Were culminated in the Day of Atonement. When the high priest. Would uh, sacrifice. Two goats. And he would. One he would kill. And take the blood of that goat and put it on the forehead of another goat. And they would then take the goat and run the goat out of the people, out of the presence of the people into the wilderness. That was to symbolize God taking the, the sins, the blood was a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he would remember the sins left the people. That, that's forgiveness. They didn't get true forgiveness. Their sin was rolled forward every year till the next day of atonement, till the next day of atonement, until Jesus came. When Jesus came, and we're going to talk about a word for that here in chapter 2, but when Jesus came, his blood forgave, paid the price for. It didn't just roll sins forward till the next time. His blood paid the price for every sin that's been committed from Adam all the way to the last person that's going to live on this earth before end times. Jesus Christ died for all those sins. But you know what else the blood of Jesus does? Look back in verse 7. Not only does the blood of Jesus forgive, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses. When Jesus died on the cross not only did we receive forgiveness we received cleansing. Remember when David was confronted with about his sin with Bathsheba when Nathan the prophet told him the story about the, about the guy that killed the poor little sheep and David says that man deserves to be killed and David says you're the man and David says I have sinned against God. When David wrote Psalm 51, all throughout that psalm, David says, Lord, cleanse me. Now, God had already forgiven David because Nathan, when Nathan and David were talking, Nathan says, man, I've sinned against God. And Nathan said, God's forgiven you. But David asked in Psalm 51 that was written after this conversation, Lord, cleanse me. Cleanse me. Make me pure." When we confess as Christians our sin, not only are we forgiven, not only does the blood of Christ forgives us, the blood of Christ cleanses us. How do you feel when you've been out working in the yard all day and you're sweaty, you're dirty, you're stanky, you're past the point of stinky, you've gone to stinky, you're going to stanky. And you get under that, you feel just grody. And you get under that shower and the, get some soap and that water and that cleansing soap just cleanses you. Makes you feel pretty good, doesn't it? That's what the blood of Jesus does for us as Christians. If we confess our we're going to sin. We have two choices when the Christian sins. We can stay there, and we have our fellowship with God broken. Have our fellowship with each other broken. We can be miserable. Or we can confess. Acknowledge to God that we realize we've sinned. God will forgive that sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. See, the blood of, we think sometimes that we need the blood of Jesus Christ to get saved, and we do. But y'all, we need the blood of Jesus Christ to stay saved. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives us our sins and continues to forgive. It cleansed us of our sins and it continues to cleanse and will continue to cleanse. The only thing keeping the blood of Jesus from cleansing us is our refusal to confess our sins. I'm convinced. There are people sitting in church houses all over our land that are miserable in their walk with God simply because of the fact they won't confess sin that's in their life. We humans are stubborn. How many times in the Old Testament did God call Israel stiff-necked, hard-headed? That's us. You ever have a kid that's hard-headed? Or a grandkid that's hard-headed? You know where they learned that, don't you? All of us humans are hard-headed when it comes to sin. Why do we have such a hard time admitting we're sinners? Sometimes we want to look at those that are lost and say, well, why can't they just admit they're sinners and become a Christian? The bigger question for me is those of us who've been uh, saved, Why do we have such a hard time admitting sin and confessing sin after we're saved? That feeling we get when we are saved, that feeling of forgiveness and cleanse, I want more of that, don't you? Not only do we need to walk around with an attitude that today I'm going to walk in the light, just as strong as the attitude is that if I find myself in darkness, I'm going to confess And I'm going to get back to the light just as fast as I can. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I met a fellow who, he was a Christian. He said, uh, I got saved on, uh, I don't remember the day, but June 3rd, 1981. And I haven't sinned since. I said, you've never sinned since you became a Christian? And he said, no, not once. And he he said it proudly. Kind of had his head stuck up a little bit. And I said, well, brother, you just sinned. (laughs) Well, that's pride, right? If I was sinless, I can't be proud of it. Trouble is, we're not. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word are not in us. Verse, chapter 2 verse 1. My little children. In our Sunday school lesson today. John wrote and used that term. My little children. John's writing is an older man. An old man. Talking to younger Christians. He says my little children. These things I write to you. That you may not sin. John saying all that I just wrote. About walking in darkness and light. I'm not saying it to be mean and to be harsh and to be tough. I'm writing that to you so that you don't sin. That needs to be our goal as a Christian every day. Don't sin. If you're struggling with sin, there's two words that you need to know and you might want to write them down. It's kind of complicated. Whatever you're struggling with, Stop it. John says, I write this to you that you may sin not. How many Christians say, well, I'm only human. I know I sin, but everybody sins. Well, at least I don't do that over here. John says, don't sin. God says, you be holy like I am holy. That's the goal, y'all. The goal is not to be pretty good. The goal is to be sinless. John says, I write this to you so that you may sin not. Don't sin. And or but if anyone sins, verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the whole world. The first part of verse 1 is a general exhortation for the Christian to avoid sin. In the context of what we have learned thus far, John is saying, number one, Christian, don't sin. Walk in the light. Quit walking around in the darkness. Stay righteous. But number two, number one, don't sin. Number two, when you do sin, confess. Now, that can lead us to two opposite and wrong extremes. One of those is, well, we're going to sin anyway, so why even try? I'm going to mess up anyway, so why should I even try to not sin? That's not what John's saying here. Christ's blood is too precious for us to frivolously say, sinning's no big deal. And that's the second extreme. That says, if it's so easy to get forgiveness, all I have to do is confess. Sin's no big deal. Sin cost heaven everything, the most precious thing in heaven. You thought about that? When I preach, I talk about how salvation is free, but it is. It's free to us, but it costs God everything. It's time Christians woke up and got serious about walking in the light. (coughs) Do me a favor. Next time you're out driving, if you have, wherever you're driving, count how many churches you pass. There's big churches, little churches, different kinds of churches, all different denominations. Can I ask you a simple question? If there are that many churches in Fairview, and if there are that many churches in Nashville, and if there are that many churches in Tennessee, And if there are that many churches in the United States of America, shouldn't it make a difference in our society? Think about it. You know what the problem is? Is that our churches are full of folks that are walking in darkness. They had not got serious about living for the Lord. The second part of verse 1 is the last of our if-then clauses. Chapter 2, verse 1. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate means a friend in court, a spokesman in court. In other words, as a Christian, when we sin, when Satan wants to tell God about, yeah, look at old Andy, He's supposed to be a Christian. He he cut that guy off last week. He's not really... Jesus Christ stands up and says, Andy Plank's one of mine. He's our advocate. He's our attorney. He's our lawyer. Aren't you glad Jesus is arguing your case and you're not? Amen. Amen. He's our advocate. Secondly, he is our propitiation. An advocate is a friend in court. A propitiation is the act of appeasing or satisfying. What propitiation is, when you read in Romans chapter uh, 6 and verse 23 that the wages of sin is death, God demands that sin be paid for. You don't get away with sin. Jesus Christ is a propitiation of that sin. He's the satisfying payment. I don't have to die on a cross. I don't have to go to hell because Jesus Christ did it for me. If we sin as a Christian, we have to say, you know, we we I beg and plead, non Christians, to come to Jesus. Can I tell you, if you're a Christian and you realize you're in darkness, come to Jesus. It's the same invitation. He is our advocate. He is our propitiation. Christ's death both appeases the wrath of God and achieves forgiveness of our sin. How do we know what appeases the wrath of God? Jesus raised from the dead, didn't he? If God was still angry at sin and still demanded payment, Jesus Christ would still be in the tomb. Jesus is on the cross. The sins of the whole world and the wrath of God are being poured out on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then Jesus says, it is finished. The payment The appeasement, the propitiation has been paid. And then Jesus says, Into thy hands, Father, I commit my spirit. And he died. Was buried in the tomb. Three days later, Up from the grave he arose, With a mighty triumph o'er his foes, He arose a victor from the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Christ arose. That shows the price is paid, y'all. Jesus paid for my sin. He paid for your sins. The sins you committed before you became a Christian. And the ones you're going to commit after you become a Christian. The blood of Jesus cleansed us, is cleansing us, and will continue to cleanse us. Very quickly, 1 John 1, 5 to 2, 2 is a defense against the power of sin in a Christian's life. (laughs) You and I have the power within us to walk in the light. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Walking in light, and having the attitude, we're gonna walk in the light, and we're gonna walk in the power and victory of Jesus, that's our defense against sin in the Christian life. And based upon John, 1 John 1:5, God is light. A Christian should remain in the light because that's where God is, right? That's where we ought to stay. But since that's impossible, the Christian should confess his and her sin and allow the blood of Jesus Christ to not only forgive, but to do its cleansing work in his or her life. Finally, sin not. Don't sin. But when you sin, confess. Only then is our fellowship with God and our fellow Christians possible. We can't walk around with unconfessed sin and be in fellowship with God and with each other. Got a question for you. Where do you spend the majority of your time walking? Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Can I tell you to quit walking around in the dark? It's not safe there. God isn't there. You want to be where God is? Confess your sin. And I don't know what that sin is. You may not even be aware of it. You may need to do like David and say, Lord, examine my heart. Search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Sometimes we deceive ourselves and we put blinders up where our sin is concerned. It's easy for me to see Marie's sins. It's harder for me to see my sins. It's easier for y'all to see my sins than it is for you to see your sins. Quit walking around in the dark. Come back to the light. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for...